shower and just squeezing milk out but watching it go down the drain the constant reminder that my body was still ready to take care of a baby and there was no baby to take care of we believe that not just babies are born mothers are born too we're your hosts Lara, a labor and delivery nurse and aspiring midwife and Melissa, a mother and doula Welcome to Motherbirth, a space for thought-provoking and inspirational conversations about birth and the deep exploration of what it means to become a mother. Hey everybody, it's Laura Melissa here at Motherbirth, and today we have a friend of mine on the podcast. Um, I actually met Linda Takano through her sister-in-law, and um, she lives with her kiddos and her husband uh, in the Seattle area, and she's a mom and a maker, and we really wanted her to be on the show today to share with you a story that's hard to tell, and for those of you this might be a trigger for, we will be talking about um, different types of loss in pregnancy and um, also perinatal loss and infant loss, so if this isn't for you, feel free to tune into a different episode, but again, we really want to thank Linda for coming on and being able to share that with us. So Linda, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and your family? Sure. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, yes, my name is Linda. Um, and I'm, I live just north of Seattle. I'm um, mainly a stay at home mom. Um, I also am, make candles, which kind of ties into my story, which if I remember to come back to it, I will. But, um... <laughs> we'll remind you. <laughs> okay. Um, but yes, uh, I have a husband, Josh. We got married about um, uh, 14 years ago. Is that right? I don't know. 13, 14 years ago. Um, and uh, we knew right away that we wanted to have a family, but not right away. And so um, a few years later, we tried to have a kid. And it, and it took a little longer than usual. But about a year later, we had our daughter, Jolie. And her name is like a combination of Josh and Linda so we're super cute that way um (laughs) so she's um great she's nine years old now almost 10 um yeah and then a few years later go by and um we're like ready to have another kid um let's say about it took a while it took longer than we thought but finally I got pregnant and I remember um, going to that ultrasound, the um, the person doing my ultrasound saying, do twins run the family? And we're like, don't joke. But <laughs> apparently I was pregnant with twins. Um, one after the other, though, very early on, neither of them made it. Um, so that was my first experience with loss. And it was obviously very difficult. Um mm-hmm. Because right away, the first one we knew had not continued. And so there was hope for that second one. And so we thought, okay, you know, we'll, we'll get one of them. And it didn't happen. And um, truly, it was just the first taste of really disappointment, loss, and a different kind of loss than, you know, could ever imagine, of course. Mm. Yeah. Linda, so, how many weeks were you when you lost those twins? say you know my my ultrasound appointment was around 10 when I was about 10 weeks um and I think we just kept going I want to say maybe 14 weeks for the second one like we were just um I just kept going in for 
blood work and um, and honestly, it, it, the details are a little bit fuzzy, but I, yeah, we, I felt like we were hanging on a string for a while there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yes. We just kept trying and it just wasn't happening. I started going to um, like testing for infertility mm-hmm. and, um, you know, like I remember some something with like we did dye injections and saw that one of my tubes was kind of like pinched or something. So the chances were kind of low. Um, my OBGYN at the time, who maybe wasn't like, gentlest of spirits told me why why do you keep trying to have a kid on your own there's so many kids to be adopted Mm. you should just do that because you know you're kind of high risk anyways uh, have like chronic high blood pressure and I mean I wasn't 33 you know but you know some people um in any case it was not easy to hear um but I did I started um looking at adoption and foster and I'm sure it's like such a (laughs) cliche story but just as we were deciding on an agency I finally became pregnant you know so it's five years um Silas was born five years after Jolie Mm -hmm. so um yes our little guy he's almost five um great and so I thought okay I mean I was begging and praying and trying and I got him you know like we could just breathe we are good so um yeah and he was such a good little baby and about 10 months when he was about 10 months old I found that I was pregnant and I was like oh my gosh this can't be this is like the craziest thing I can't get pregnant how did this even happen? <laughs> um, yeah, super surprised, a little, a little bit scared and shocked. But um, yeah, so we were gonna have be a family of five, and it just, you know, it was just so much to wrap our heads around. Um, yeah, all the pregnancies were different, but his Miles was the easiest for sure. Um, his delivery was the easiest also. Um, both, oh no, Jolie was induced. Sai basically kicked his way out. (laughs) I was doing an NST and he like kicked me so hard. It like broke my water in the NST and I just walked down to labor and delivery. (laughs) Um, Miles, like I got, I was so happy. I got to experience the whole thing. Like the contractions and, you know, like the natural progression, it was really amazing to me. And I felt, um, it was, yeah, it was such a different experience. I felt really, um, present and, and kind of strong and, um, and, uh, yeah, like really he was like two pushes and out and, um, yeah, Jolie kind of has like a lighter brown hair for an Asian um, Sai has definitely redder hair and, and this guy is like jet black hair, sweet baby. Hmm. Um, and you know, we're in the hospital as usual, like, I don't know, like 48 hours or whatever, um, came home and, 
um, he, you know, that first night home was difficult. I was tired and, and he was kind of like having trouble eating a little bit, but he would eat and, and he, you know, had bowel movements and everything normal. And, um, so I, I fell asleep for a little bit and went to say good morning to him. Um, this was, um, the day after we brought him home. So he was born on Saturday, Monday morning. I went to kiss my buddy. Good morning. And, uh, I noticed that his lips had turned blue and, uh, immediately called 911, tried to do CPR. It was such, um, like, I, I'm starting to feel the adrenaline now, but that whole adrenaline, um, it was surreal. Mm. Um, like within seconds, um, there was an army of people in the room who took over. Um, I fell to the ground. I couldn't stand. Of course, I, we were, um, just huddled on the floor praying. I, all I remember is seeing a sea of navy blue pants and black shoes. All the first responders, I, none of the faces waist up, don't know. They're working. I could hear certain words. Um, you know, he was small when he was born. He was five pounds, 12 ounces. And I knew that whatever equipment they have was not made for five pound people. Yeah. Um, and, but they were trying and I was just thinking, okay, what a scare. I'm, I can't wait for them to just be like, okay, he's fine. And we were just waiting for that second, you know, any moment I'm going to hear him crying. He's, he's fine. Obviously, that was the only outcome that was going to happen. Um, I don't, I don't know what the time was. They say it was probably 20 minutes. Um, it was an eternity. Um, mm -hmm. And the man um, said, "Ma'am, we're going to have to call it." I could not believe it. What were they talking about? No way. Um, I was, I don't remember exactly how I responded, but something because they're like, okay, we'll keep trying. Mm. <laughs> I mean, they were so sweet. Looking back on it now, I mean, they know, yeah. but um, they just kept going and going and going. And I, of course, I had nothing, but I had to have hope. I mean, I wasn't going to accept anything else. Um, but no, it was just like a normal Monday morning and our baby was gone. Wow. Linda, who was with you at the house? Um, so actually my parents were here um, and Josh, um, my sister was in the house, but um, she really woke up. My kids were both awake. I don't even know where they were. I know that Jolie asked me later, why were you screaming so much? I don't, mm -hmm. I don't even, you know, that part 
was just so, you know, instinctual. But um, yeah, I it was it, there was a lot of us here, but I mean, it was like a cloud. I yeah, it was. Uh, I How wonder. did your children react to what was happening? Um, you know, Sai, he was, you know, he was like one. And so he, um, he didn't really know what was happening. Um, it was, it's really scary. I mean, I don't want to, I hope I don't scare anybody, but when that thing happens and anyone who's it's happened to would know, um, it becomes a crime scene. Um, so he passed away upstairs. And so um, pretty much immediately, they told us we had to go downstairs and process the scene. Um, they sent a, uh, I don't remember what they're called, the, you know, the religious guy that comes. He was really annoying, whoever they sent. Um, chaplain. The yeah. chaplain, thank you. Mm-hmm. The chaplain, so he was with us, and they kind of kept us away. And so Jolie was asking like what's happening you know of course and so they're keeping you away from your baby right at this time correct Um, yeah so we are totally separated we don't know what's happening um but as i was walking down the stairs the warehouses i looked out the window and it is full of fire trucks and ambulances cars and we have a huge driveway. It was a lot of flashing lights. It was, it was surreal, like scary. And um, the experience was really like it wasn't the most horrific thing ever. But having to retell the story several times. Um, at one point, we had to. Oh my gosh! I can't believe that they made us do this. They used a doll. Reenact like the last, you know, few hours. Where was Miles? How was he sitting? Where were you when you found him? Like reenacting the whole thing with this doll. It was humiliating, truly humiliating. It's such a hard space because you are, I mean, just thinking about it personally, like obviously with anything medical there's always a job to be done there's things they have to check off but like what is what a horrible space that that's in for you and I just I'm so sorry that I mean I it's a reality that would happen to any person in that situation but it just seems like such a broken kind of like you're saying kind of like such a weird thing to be doing at the time yeah it was really it was like a slap in the face brain yeah. like my you know, an unimaginable time, and um, mm. and they had told us too that uh, they normally would process it as I don't know, they didn't say a crime, but something like you know, just to be prepared for that because um, when there's children involved, there as an investigation, yeah, correct. Yeah. Were there other components of that that were really difficult for you? Um, I mean, that just the reenacting. I mean, it was literally like happening in the same 
space and time, you know, little orange flags. It it was like, I don't, it was, um, yeah, it brought a whole different level to the whole experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have to say, um, without Jolie inside, even in that moment, I mean, there was a bunch of people here at, by the time we were back downstairs, our family, my sister, my parents, the kids. Um, Josh had called our local pastor by then, and the chaplain guy, the annoying guy was here, and then um, Josh's parents came. But you could hear a pin drop. I mean, there's, there's nothing to say. I mean, I was grateful to have other people in the room, but um, it was Jolie who broke the silence, and um, and she had shared her fair share of tears. Um, but finally, she said, "Mom, can we have a goodbye party?" Mm-hmm. And it was really, you know, the sweetest thing. I um, when Jolie was born, I don't know. I had this thought like the week before because I I was going to be induced, and um, and so I was like, you know what? We should have a birthday cake. Because why do you have birthday cake when you're like one and two and three and four? You should have it on the birthday. And mm-hmm. so I remember we had a birthday party for Jolie because we knew, you know, when she was going to be here. And so for her to offer the idea of having a goodbye party um, actually brought me a lot of peace. Um, it was It was just a sweet thought in the midst of like, the trauma and the chaos. It was just such a sweet thing for her to say. So yeah. I have to say, I mean, for people who go through these things and don't have, you know, like kids are just a natural icebreaker and they just snap you back. And They're just such real-time processors. And so it, it's such a different element, I think, watching and supporting friends and family who've gone through loss, like and you're saying, when there's other kids in the mix, it's a different, they create different spaces you didn't even know you needed. Just, yeah. just by their own thoughts and their own intuition, like they're like, oh, well, okay. This is, like you were saying, it's just, it's a, it's such a reflection of her personality. <laughs> yeah. In that space. It'd be really yeah. beautiful. And they kind of teach us that there isn't, there isn't a right way to process it and there isn't you know, just a a particular moment or a certain progression of emotions, you know, it's just kind of all over the place for them. Yeah. And um, even in that time, I mean, it's just like, looking back, I remember thinking like everyone became caricatures of themselves (laughs) in this like major trauma and pressure cooker situation. Mm -hmm. I went into hostess mode. I didn't know that until someone said something. Um, my dad was like, just chatted up with the chaplain. That's just what he does. You know, we all did this thing where we just went to this persona. I don't know what it was, but we all really, it was almost, I mean, obviously not comical, but um, because we're just, we processed the grief so differently and we just had to do what we had to do to get through that second and that minute um and so different aspects of our personality really came (laughs) came out um yeah and and yeah i'll have to say you know having josh as a partner um 
I'm definitely the louder one, Laura Marespo. Um, <laughs> I'm a little more loud, seemingly bossy. But um, in that moment, Josh stepped it up. He was, um, I, I don't, I hate to use the word strong and people have called me strong. I'm definitely not strong. It just, something horrible happened to me. It doesn't make me strong. Um, but he did everything hard that I couldn't do. Mm. When um, we had to, you know, the after all of the crime scene processing and all that, we got to spend some time with Miles before the coroner was going to take him. Um, and I wasn't willing to give him back. Yeah. I mean, so I, and Josh was really great about communicating that we need more time and and not that I would ever be ready, but it was time and I couldn't hand him over. So, you know, those are the little things that Josh did. Um, we told him logistically, you need to call a funeral home. You know, there was no way I'm calling a funeral home for my child. I couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, Josh, he just, he just did what had to be done. And, um, yeah, again, when you look at us, you might think one thing, but no, he did really did all of the really hard things that um, I, I just could not do. Hmm. It's amazing to see that that sort of interdependence that happens in those moments and how just intuitively can become about each other's needs, you know? Yeah. It's incredible that he was able to do that for you. He was. He like earned like a, a kind of respect that is pretty deep mm-hmm. and um, will stay with me forever. Hmm. So at this point, are you still feeling, are you feeling any denial? Are you feeling finality? How are you feeling at this point? I mean, I, I would say like the things that I've heard about or read about were really true for me. The part where you feel like that first day, like I don't know how to breathe anymore. Um, I, I was in denial. Um, I'd have to keep going in the shower and just squeezing milk out. It would, but watching it go down the drain mm-hmm. was a constant reminder that my body was still ready to take care of a baby. And there was no baby to take care of. Um, mm. Took a while for it to stop. And then, of course, when it did, I was sad for other reasons, you know. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think because uh, uh, of those, even just those physical cues, I mean, it, it, was, it was so hard to reconcile. Yeah, that was that was uh, just uh, one of those things too that I I um, that I've met you know other moms with loss and it's those little things that you know you wouldn't think about but um, it's just a really harsh reality of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that losing losing a child is 
it's it's certainly losing a part of yourself and you know especially when when you're in that very transitional state like you said you have these physical cues I mean your body's still recovering from birth you're starting to make milk for this baby you have all of these different things that are extremely tangible in that in that moment of time and there's no way to turn those off there's no way to subdue those so that you can just you know focus on the you know the emotional experience of the loss you have these physical components that amplify it so dramatically and I think it's you know it can feel like you said harsh or even cruel and then you know as time goes on those physical parts of it you know kind of fade or change and I think that then like you said too that that's hard because that becomes part of your grief, you know, watching the milk run, run down the shower drain, you know, remembering, remembering birth, like all of those things, they, those become anchors in that experience. And as those fade, it's like, that's a loss too. Sure. Um, Yeah. All of it. Yeah. Recovering from birth, hospital bills. Yeah. I mean, I yelled at the mail so many times. How are you going to charge me for this? Everything just kept going on as usual. But yeah, yeah, the first few days and even afterwards, I would say, um, you know, like all I have to do is, you know, keep him alive. I didn't do that. I failed him. Um, replaying the trauma parts of it over and over. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a huge struggle and not just the first few days, but I, weeks. Um, I know that um, some people, you know, in the really hard times turn to the Bible, some eat out of them. I needed both. Um, really, I needed, I needed to be able to sleep. I couldn't sleep for a week. And that was not good. Um, My kids still needed a functioning mom. We were not functioning. Um, We were not sleeping. I I couldn't turn off my thoughts. And um, and yeah, it it took a long time. A lot of talks. A lot of friends who helped me process. But to you know, kind of stabilize a little bit. Um, but we decided to do the goodbye party, as Julie suggested. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably would have it to take my time in, in thinking about when to do it. But my in-laws, a trip to Hawaii in like, I don't know, two weeks from then. So we had to do it before because they're going to be gone for while so I mean luckily maybe it worked out fine because since I do go into hostess mode when I can't function I was like went into hostess mode for this party but it was just what I needed I didn't want to have like a really sad um church service or something like I wouldn't have gone yeah so we I remember when I was to this neighborhood park and that's where I would take Sai and um, even like just that week we were there and so we had a party at the park 
try to make this really sad thing as less, you know, not so stuffy or formal. And really, for me, the way that I would want to honor a baby and kids are invited. You don't have to get a babysitter for them. We just had it right by the playground. We had mm. food and balloons and, um, you know, lots of hugs and tears. And um, it was as far as a horrible party to have. I called it like the worst birthday party ever. Um, it was the best worst birthday party that I could imagine. It was what I needed. Um, um, and, and since then, I think, yeah, for me, I know that I need fresh air and to be surrounded by trees and nature. I start to feel um, anxious even now. I go outside. I am learning to give myself the freedom to do what I need to do. For me now, that even means Mother's Day. No church, no thanks. We need to go to like the mountains. Um, I need to get out. I don't want to. Um, I don't want to be indoors. Um, I found this really large connection to nature that I didn't have before, but um, it really helps me just to recenter, um, and it's a great release for me. And I'm still learning that just to it's freedom and everyone needs to do what they need to do yeah. to get by, you know, that minute or that day or whatever. Um, so I'm doing a lot of that. So it's been just over three years. We just celebrated his third birthday. Of course, not here at Orcas Island where we go for his birthday. We go as a family out uh, take an hour-long ferry ride and go out to the island, um, cupcake with candles and sing happy birthday and um, just be together. Hmm. I think that's beautiful. And uh, I think that it can be very difficult to kind of figure out what you need to do for yourself. Yeah, It sounds like you're really listening to that the intuition that you have about being outside and it can also be hard to kind of figure out what it looks like for your family over time and I think taking a, a special trip is just such a great way to honor honor your even giving yourself space you know if you're at home and you have obligations and things that you're doing you know you might just you know f feel like you don't have the freedom to to grieve if grief is what you feel or celebrate if celebrate is what you feel or remember and I just think that sounds like a really great way to make that space for your family. I am interested. Um, I know you have a big community in the area that you live in, and maybe if you'd be willing to share some things that people did that were really helpful to you. I, I'm an introvert, um, which I didn't, I, I think I've real, only recently in the last years realized what that meant. It, it means, I mean, for me, that I really, um, being around people that I don't know very well, it, it drains me. Um, of course, people that I'm really comfortable with um, is fine. But um, one thing that I appreciated was my friends, they know that. When Josh went back to work, I started having some anxiety. Um, and I, you know, and so they just <laughs> said, okay, we're going to come over and we're just going to sit in the corner and we're not going to say anything. 
but if you need us, we're right there. (laughs) And if you don't need us, it's fine. We'll just mind our own business and do our own thing, but we're just going to be there. And I just, uh, that was such a gift to me. And I thought just so sweet and sensitive. Um, I will say that um, previous to this, you know, I didn't really, I haven't had any big losses in my life. Um, And I remember going to other people's funerals and not really knowing what to say and thinking I had to say something like kind of good or writing something kind of like profound or something on a card. And, and now I know (laughs) um, that people just, people have said things and people comfort the way that maybe they want to be comforted. And so I really appreciate the people who know me, um, who try to think about me and, um, and comfort in the way that I would need, which is maybe a little more Mm -hmm. hands-off. And I really do appreciate that. I think um, my, we got, you know, we were so lucky. We got so many sweet cards in the mail, my favorite one. And so, uh, yeah, I, I can picture her sweet old lady handwriting and just said to Miles' mom and dad. And I just thought mm. it was so sweet. Um, I think um, sometimes it's hard to know what to say, and I totally get that because I was her. Um, um, you, like, don't want to upset somebody or, you know, whatever. But I think it's never unwanted to say the person's name and so um you know I like to say miles and just interject it as much as I can because (laughs) that way he's not forgotten and um it's my way of you know honoring him so I really loved that card yeah and and I don't I don't know if this is true for every woman but so many so many mothers that I have talked to, and this is true for me and, and my own loss as well, have have echoed what you just said, which is that, you know, we want we want our children to be remembered. We don't just want people to remember us and our pain, but we want people to actually remember our children. And I think that that can look a lot of different ways. And certainly, like you said, you know, we all receive comfort differently, but I think that it has seemed to be a really common theme that women really do want that they want people to acknowledge not just their loss and their pain but actually to acknowledge their child and that has been really powerful for me over the years the people that are the closest to me that they don't just see my pain they they miss my son you know I had a a full-term stillbirth and and I I miss my son and often I feel like I'm the only one that does and so when others say something or demonstrate in some way that they miss him too that is so powerful to me and I think I'm hearing that in what you're saying as well exactly how I feel as well Um, yes because um, although grief has changed me completely um, Miles's life was more than grief you know Mm -hmm. Um, I want to remember his birth and, you know, not just his death, his death, obviously I can't escape, but I'm, so I'm holding on to the pictures of him where my kids are holding him. Linda, do you keep pictures of him? 
in the house? Yeah, I'm staring at them right now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I do. Yeah, we we do. Um, and uh, Jolie was sweet uh, last year. She wanted to make a book, like her own little photo album with her own captions. And so um, we reprinted some of them and some of them. Um, we don't have, I didn't, I didn't print all of them. So I, uh, it took me a while to get there where actually I could go back and look. Mm-hmm. Really sweet. And, yeah. um, yeah, it's so cute. <laughs> so, it's so great to leave that space for each of you as individuals to have your grief evolve and grow over the years. And I love that you talked about, you know, these kind of little traditions or celebrations or remembrances that you do and and they will probably keep changing over the years you know you talk about going out to the island and maybe you'll always do that which is wonderful but maybe over time that will change or you'll add something to it or you know there's another piece that will that will just feel different about how you remember him and I think that that's really really important and really beautiful to leave that space uh with my kids yeah it's um I yeah I was so young but I do even try to mention him. Him, maybe I don't know if I'm jogging his memory or I show him pictures of them together. Um, I don't know if I'm inceptioning him or what, but yeah, whatever. <laughs> Here's your totem. Is that what they call it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, and I think that that is something you know. And speaking to moms who've had loss, but I don't know if you know this, Linda, but um, I had a brother who lived 11 hours. And I was not even alive. I was born after him. And my mom working at the same kind of things you're talking about, you know, we celebrated his birthday and I was fascinated with him and I still am. I mean, I still remember him and I feel, I feel him even though I wasn't even there. And I think that that is just a testament of making, you know, I think there people deal with loss differently and that's something, you know, there's space for, but for a lot of people who want to to con- to continue I mean there's people who don't count those children when they say I have this many children and mm-hmm. everybody kind of has to find their own space but in my family it was always that I had an older brother that I never got to meet and oh. it's it wasn't you know like I, I know what you're saying with the inceptioning and that's totally what it is I mean there's no I have no foundational memories of him that are mine but you own. have a connection, they've all been right? given to me and I'm I'm very grateful for them and I think, again, you know, you have to kind of figure out what that looks like for your your family. But I also think that, you know, I want him, I want Silas to remember Miles, too. You know, he, he's his brother. Mm-hmm. You said you wanted to talk about candles, so. <laughs> well, you. <laughs> thank you. Um, um, I, did, I started making candles um, a few years before Silas was born. Um I I just enjoy it. It's a little bit of an art and a science. I really liked it. And then actually it started to get busy. So when when I was pregnant with Miles, I decided I was just gonna stop and just retire. Um, um and so I just, you know, forgot about it and of course after everything that happened I think about it. But then a great friend of mine sent me a candle I lit it and I loved it and I was looked at the bottom of the candle when it was done I lit it that thing lit all of it 
And I thought, oh, I wish I had another candle. I thought, wait a second. I know how to do that. <laughs> and so out of my craft graveyard, I grabbed all my stuff back out and started making candles. And um, it has really just been very therapeutic for me. really enjoy it. I like having them. And I like that people use them um, for birthdays and for all kinds of remembrances of vigils and things and um it's a moment of peace and it's it, it seems like the house is cleaner and quieter even if it's not when they have a candle going i think it, you we you know we've shared this or other women have shared this on the show too and you know pregnancy early motherhood is a very creative space and mm-hmm. in some ways you know having grief can be a creative space if it's something that you need. Some people need to do things with their hands or with their bodies or with their minds. Um, and so, you know, it's no surprise in that sense that maybe, maybe that was part of it for you. Yeah. I love that you have something that you can use both as a, in some ways, you know, a, a relief from, but also a welcoming of, the, you know, that, that grief. It's, I think it can serve both of those functions. Linda, now that you are, you said three years past this loss, um, what has, what has really changed about how you view motherhood and how do you, how do you see yourself as a mother today? Say that I am different person. I just generally, I realize I am broken but kind of somewhat put back together and in, in a different way mm. um so in some ways I have a different perspective on motherhood and life autopsy came back which took months by the way they said that they have to do that for children and so they have to send it to labs all over the country and it just takes a lot longer so it yeah. took months for the autopsy to come back they said that Miles's cause of death was um idio probably idiopathic idiopathic respiratory basically stopped breathing Mm -hmm. in a sense of course i felt like well it wasn't truly my fault i mean it was something i could hold on to a little bit Mm um and so once I had that knowledge, not that I, I will ever feel off the hook because, you know, that's just because I'm a mom. Um, but um, really that I can't control everything, you know, mm-hmm. I could see, um, I could see a version of myself where I'd just become really scared about everything and really controlling about my kids, where they're going. Anytime, especially Sai, because he's, he's sick. I I do um, often, especially with the breathing thing. Yeah. I feel that, um, like that adrenaline. And I'll have to be honest, I fears crop up. Yeah. Um, I'm not without those at all. <laughs> I've changed for sure. Um, mm. But yeah, not better and not worse, or maybe a little better, a little worse. I don't know. 
Yeah, that's. I think that's the the evolution of motherhood. No matter <laughs> what experience we're having, we become a little bit better and a little bit worse. I think that you've really captured the just the dichotomy of how grief changes us in so many different ways. And we're really, really grateful that you were able to to share your story. It's such a such a tragic story, obviously, but such a personal story. And I think that, you know, in in the motherhood community, certainly when someone experiences a loss like yours, people acknowledge it and they're, you know, they're willing to see that as a loss, but it's still not something that we really create the space to talk about. And it's not something that we we certainly don't create ongoing space. You know, there's still this very finite sense of, you know, you have this experience, you're supposed to kind of figure it out, move on, package it up. And, you know, that's kind of that. And I think that one of the things that we really want to do is to continue to unpackage those things and to Mm -hmm. continue to create the space that allows women and communities to, to revisit as frequently and as often as needed. And I think that there's, like you said, it changes you, you know, you, you become a different person in a lot of ways. And it's not something that ever is just part of your past. It's part of who you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me and um, for letting me share my story. Um, it is one of those things that um, it's therapeutic just to even talk about it. So it's like free therapy today. Thank yeah. you. Oh, for yeah. that. We'll, we'll bill you later. <laughs> okay, perfect. I'll send you some candles. <laughs> perfect. Yes. No, we love having these conversations. Thank you for being so, you so, so much, real Linda. with us, Linda. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mother Birth today. If you want to be a bigger part of our community, you can follow us on Instagram at motherbirth.co or connect with us on Facebook, where we have all kinds of behind the scenes stuff going on. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show and rate us in iTunes, which allows other people to find us and helps the show to grow. I think it goes without saying, but Mother Breast is a personal podcast created by Lara and Lisa. It's intended as general information. It doesn't constitute or substitute medical advice of any kind. You should always consult with your primary care provider with respect to your medical care. If you're pregnant, planning on becoming pregnant, or in the postpartum period. 